welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we are librarians who love to read and talk about books. And today's episode, we read from our TBRs, our endless, endless TBRs that we both have. <laughs> and we picked three books for each other from our, t- our physical shelves and read them. And we are going to talk about them today. This is an episode we have done... Have we done this every year? I think I think basically every year. Yes. And I love it so much yeah. because it's always a goal of mine to read more of the books I own. And this feels like a little chipping away at that goal. And yeah. it's always fun because every book on my shelf at some point I was excited to read. And so it's fun to have the opportunity to have you pick for me. Yeah. Something about you, the, like the assignment is yes, fun too. Yes. Because you would choose differently I think than I would in the moment obviously yeah. they're all books I want to read but it's a fun one how do you feel this year went for you well I think it went well I'll 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 say probably more it, it, at e- about each book individually not like it wasn't an equal I loved all of them right sort of situation well one thing I like is that we do the assignment and then it's usually a month or two before we actually record the episode so mm-hmm. I never remember what I have assigned to you so oh, it's exactly. always a surprise yeah when you start talking of what I have given you to read as it will be today I do know one book I assigned to you and you read just because you reached out to me a week or so ago and asked me if I had read it but I don't even know if I would have remembered that one. So. Oh, yes. And that was that was what I was going to ask. Are these all books that you have read that you assigned to me? Like, do you remember when you were doing I don't that? remember. <laughs> I don't remember what I assigned to you. So I will tell you in response to what you share about your Interesting. books. I, uh, that to me, I think, is the is not, maybe not the most fun part of it. But, but something that's very fun is to, I, I almost always only pick books that I've read before because I like to see what your reaction to them is yes. whether I liked them or not I I is kind of immaterial to me I just think it's fun to have an opinion about the book that you are then reading and then to say oh and now now what did you think and this is what I thought and I, yes. I really enjoy that part yes me too and one other thing I like about this and we have talked about this with other episodes we do we tend to when we pick a topic say road trips or whatever the topic is for the week We tend to pick books that we think positively about and we speak positively about. And we always try to find, even if it wasn't to our personal taste, we try to think about it and who it would be for and who would like it, those sorts of things. So an episode like this, because it is an assigned set of books, it's more of our unfiltered opinions Mm -hmm. about books, I think, uh, which is kind of fun every once in a while to do that Mm -hmm. because... If I didn't like a book, I'm not going to say I did. Uh, I'm still going to try to talk about who might like it. But so these episodes are a little different from some of our other ones because it is just our opinions about what we read, which I Mm -hmm. think is kind of fun. We don't do that that often. Yeah. Well, and even on our other episodes, even if we didn't like a book, we usually don't talk about not liking a book. We we might sort of say this wasn't a book for me, but usually we just try to present the book versus have opinions about it but this is opinions this is well and I tend to only pick books for those episodes that I actually do like generally mm-hmm. I would say so sometimes I think I'm gonna like a book and then it then it comes back to bite me and then I still have to talk about it <laughs> <laughs> yeah you read well not not so much with your committee work now but I feel like historically you tend to read for our episodes more than I do I tend right, to go back right. to books I've already read that fit the theme and talk about those and you tend to use it as an opportunity to read new stuff for yeah. you. Yeah. Or to chip away at my TBR. Right. Which is what I should be doing. <laughs> I don't think we need much more explanation than that. Why don't we go ahead with your first one? And it will okay. be a surprise to everybody except yeah. you. <laughs> except for me. Um, so first I will talk about Take It Back by Kia Abdullah. Oh yes. Okay. Yeah. I knew that you would be I like, have read oh, this, yes. Oh, yes. Um, this is such a, a gripping book, and mm-hmm. I, which I think is why you assigned it to me. Yes. So it is uh, the main character, or, or kind of the main character. She's sort of the frame around which the, the book revolves. But her name is Zara uh, Khalil, and she is a former lawyer who gave up her practice to work as a rape counselor in London. And so in the course of, of her work, she meets with a 16-year-old girl named Jodie Wolfe who claims that a boy she had a crush on 
basically lured her into an abandoned building after a party and then assaulted her along with three of his friends. And this crime is something that Zara encounters all the time. There's there's nothing unusual about it, except for the fact that the four boys that have been accused are all Muslim and have come from immigrant families. And Jody has a facial deformity. And so it very much becomes extremely difficult to navigate situation where there, there are claims of, well, she's not attractive enough to have been enticing to them and like all kinds of horrible things are are said that in the course of this case because of the circumstances of each of these these um these sets of people involved in it the boys are all incredibly popular at school and and jody is an outcast and she's never invited to anything um she's only at the party because she has one friend who brought her and then the friend basically ditched her and left her alone and so she was she was isolated and and so so there are just all kinds of circumstances that that pull together to to make this situation um to have happened in the first place and then also to to make it more much more fraught than it than already cases of this kind are the boys of course um, are vehemently denying the accusations and zara believes jody until she is watching jody encounter various um, uh, advocacy groups and and lawyers and and people involved with the case and she sees that Jody starts to slightly change her story mm-hmm. and so she's so Zara is is completely committed to supporting Jody but she also isn't completely sure of what she thinks ha- actually happened from in the situation um, Jody comes from a really terrible background and she has no one else su- to support her so she's so Zara really does need to be there but she's she's very conflicted at the same time that this is going on, we're also learning about Zara's own history and how she, um, before the events of the book, has she disappointed her family because she left her arranged marriage. And as a Muslim woman, she is seen as betraying her community in, in taking on this case. And so her life gets more and more difficult because of her support of Jody and, and even more and more dangerous. So there's, there's just so many pieces that are coming mm-hmm. at these characters so i'm not going to say more because there's there's a lot that happens in the book and i i don't know how i felt about this one (laughs) i felt like i always it was very so i listened to this and Mm -hmm. it was very uncomfortable for me because the reader is in a is in a position of having to decide who they believe and that either means you think a rape victim is lying which happens constantly in real life of Mm -hmm. of not not that women lie but that women are accused of lying about sexual assault and it also then the opposite is that minorities and immigrants are criminals which is also something that a large portion of the population believes and i don't like feeling like i have to choose either of those those positions but at the same time i could not stop listening to this Mm -hmm. and so i don't know what my reading experience was like i i can't come down on I liked this or I didn't like it yeah. because it re- it did make me have to know what happened and I couldn't yeah. like I, I was on a very long drive listening to this and I was getting to the end of it and thinking oh gosh is there enough time to finish this book before mm-hmm. I get to my destination because I couldn't not know how this turned out so so I'm, I'm kind of in the middle on this book as far as a, a positive or negative opinion of it but I do think that it's pretty impressive that the author just went there and I, I've read one of her other books too and she will not shy away from very 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 upsetting mm-hmm. ethical questions and and that is something that you usually in in literature or fiction tend to see a little bit more of a we know this is this is the good person and this is the bad person and mm-hmm. this is not that book at all so um it, it also is if you're into legal thrillers then it, it's mm-hmm. very very gripping for for that type of courtroom genre so that could also be enticing to people but I don't know how I felt about this one yeah it's so interesting because the book that I read this week that I'll be talking about the end when we talk about what we're reading this week I have very similar feelings about so it's interesting to hear you say this because I hadn't connected that the two well, I had forgotten I had assigned this to you, but I have read this book and I hadn't connected. I kept thinking about the book that I'm going to talk about, which also deals with a rape case. 
it felt very it felt unique to me and it felt mm-hmm. like it hadn't been done before but now that you're talking about this book I thought oh no this is a very similar type of book where it's uncomfortable but compelling mm-hmm. and I wouldn't say I enjoyed it for sure when I read it your book and I would have a hard time recommending it to somebody because of its the nature of the story and the fact that it is an uncomfortable story but at the same time I'm very glad I read it mm-hmm. and I thought it was very well done. Mm-hmm. It was a book where we read this for reading list a few years ago. The right. It didn't and make the final because I never. It didn't I, make we, the final. And I was hopeful it would only because I was curious about the discussion. I yeah. thought this this is a book that would be a great book club book, I think, because you would have differing opinions on it and you would have people's perspectives really impact how they view the story and I think that that would be a very rich discussion to have because there's just mm-hmm. a lot to talk about uh, where she, like you said, she really goes there. She raises questions that are uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm glad you read it because yeah. I think it's a worthwhile read. Yeah. Well, and I think that, I don't think that she's trying to shirk the, any of those discussions with Mm-mm. even within herself. Like, I think she has a position Mm-hmm. Um, which I don't want to get into right. because it will reveal too much about about the book. I, I think that she definitely has it is trying to say something. And so so getting there, I in the end, I, I was like, yeah, I see what you're doing here mm-hmm. and I see what your ultimate message is. I just was if if it, if both of those problematic positions were not so common in real life, mm-hmm. it would have been easier for me to to sit with them but right. because because this is we hear the, both of those things so 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 often of viewing people of people who have not had ex- these experiences labeling others with things that are untrue right that to me was like oh i don't know that i i want to feel this way yeah <laughs> so. but the interesting thing with this book is i didn't feel provocative just for the sake of being provocative to me maybe you felt differently though I felt like she was talking about provocative subjects, but not sensational. Yeah. If that makes sense. I, I think I agree with that. I, I, I have to think about that a little bit more, but I think I agree with that. It didn't feel, sometimes I feel like there are books that use ripped from the headlines kind of yeah. subject matters just because they will grab people's attention. And I think yeah. that... This book, and again, I've read it. I read it a few years ago, so the details are a bit hazy. But I just remember how I felt about it. Felt like it was intended to make you think. And yeah, it, yeah. It's, not it's definitely just, not gratuitous in right, showing anything. Right. Ever. It, it was meant to make you delve into the way we think about these things and kind of yeah. question yourself and your own assumptions yeah, about yeah, things yeah. And, and people. And so I appreciated that part of it. And and I did really like her second book, too. Or I, I don't know if it actually is her second book, but the other book of hers I read. And so I think she's an author that I want to keep my eye on because mm. she's not backing away on, on things that are hard. I had intended to read her, her next book, but I haven't because I think it's got the same main character, the lawyer character, I think. is. Uh, oh, I can't remember now. I think so. I think it's considered a series okay well I have less conflicted bu- feelings about my first book <laughs> <laughs> which was Bandit Queens by Perini Schroth oh. and this is about Gita whose, hus- whose husband disappeared a few years ago and it is well known that he was abusive towards Gita and everybody assumes that she killed him and everybody's kind of fine with that because he was awful but she is still ostracized from the village where she lives or the community where she lives because of this reputation that she has. And then also she has a friend of hers who they had a big falling out. And after that, the rest of the friend group kind of sided with the other woman, not with Gita. So she just feels kind of alone and ostracized. There is a microloan group in their community where this is pretty cool. It's a group of women who lend money to other women in small micro loans to support women-owned businesses, and which is pretty mm-hmm. cool. And so this group of women, it's kind of a social group as well as this economic force. <laughs> One of the women in this group approaches Gita because her husband is abusing her and she wants help killing him. And because they, everybody thinks that Gita killed her husband, 
this woman goes to Gita saying, will you help me? And Gita does. <laughs> Gita does help uh, because she just ends up in a situation where she thinks, okay, I will help you. But it's, it's sort of more complicated than that. But <clears throat> she does end up helping her. And then she ends up doing other favors for the women in the group and starts feeling a little bit more accepted. And soon, through all these events with these women, she is opening herself up to other people in her life, which is really nice to see. There's a very kind man that she starts encountering, and she kind of opens her heart to him a little bit. There's a dog in the story, which I always oh, love. Oh, yeah, the dog. A I sick dog. The dog. Uh, that Joseph she... just started barking when you said the dog, oh. <laughs> too. So <laughs> Joseph is saying hello to a dog. And so the story evolves where she's starting to make these connections in her in her community in a way that at the beginning of the book she's not. And then you end up finding out what happened to her husband and, and all these things. So here's what I have to say about the, this book. <laughs> I knew what you had to say already when we started. This sounds like a book I would like because it sounds very relationship fiction-y, which I love. I love stories about women coming into their own. I love all these things. However, this book... And there were parts of it I liked. I will say that. There were parts of it I found funny. There were parts of it I liked. But the tone of this book was very satiric and very almost like snarky a little bit. Yeah, and yeah. that is just not my style. That is just not something I take to that I enjoy. So while I know a lot of other people liked this book, it was just not for me. And and I tried it two different ways. I started by reading the print copy, and it wasn't really working for me. So I switched to the audiobook because I thought maybe I just wasn't connecting to the characters in print. And sometimes hearing the dialogue and things on audiobook will work better. And I switched audio. I still didn't really like it. So I just think this, this tone doesn't work for me very well. Mm-hmm. I saw... I think in a review, it was compared to My Sister the Serial Killer, which mm-hmm. I also didn't enjoy. So I just think this book was not for me. And that's yeah. fine. Uh, and I think it was for a lot of other people. I have a good friend who saw I read it and said she loved it. She thought it was hilarious. And she and I actually have somewhat similar reading tastes. And so it just, I don't know if it was the wrong time, wrong mindset, just not for me. Just not for me. So that yeah. was uh, Bandit Queens by Perini Schroff. Yeah, that was one I I liked it a lot, and I but I had you read it because I needed your take on it, right? And so I was super happy to have your take of <laughs> yeah, this isn't this isn't really fitting relationship no. criteria, yeah. Um, and and I agree that it, it's not, and and I think that like I wonder if you had read it not not looking for that if you would have enjoyed it more or not expecting it if you had en- if you would have no, enjoyed it I don't more. think so because when we had that conversation. Mm-hmm. I think I said my understanding of the book was that it was a satire. So I That's went true. into yeah. it knowing yeah, yeah, yeah. it maybe was going to be more of that than yeah. relationship fiction. Yeah, I just kept hearing right. how funny it was before I read it, and I didn't find it all that funny, I guess. Humor's hard, though. Yeah. I was never really, like, laugh out loud funny at any point, and but I agree that the tone of it is just is just more snarky and, mm-hmm. and and like the relationship when you said it's a social group between these women they're kind of all frenemies right too with each other and yeah. so there's there's humor there but it isn't there's no like warm fuzzies right really there kind of are in the way things develop but but it's it's definitely more of a like she has a she has a development arc but it's it's more this isn't this terrible the world that they have to live in right to, to have to do these things that they right that they do and and i definitely could see that being i i know that there have been similar movies that have have like i've got to kill my husband right. and, and they're definitely a big push right now in mysteries of yes. humorous uh domestic mysteries of i hate my husband and isn't it so funny that I'm going to kill him kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And so I can see that being the take on it, but but I don't know that this is that's how I read this book Mm-mm. either. So Mm-mm. um but I did enjoy it, but I I think that I like satire a little bit more than you do. Yeah, I think so. And and really I thought it was very interesting of the the world that they live in because they're all kind of middle class, but then I don't know anything about living in a village in India and the way that they they exist in this space and and how much it talks about their 
like to me what what feels like a very uh, difficult existence mm-hmm. is just very matter of fact to mm-hmm. them and so that to me was the thing that I really enjoyed from it of of seeing their just a way of life that I have yes. zero exposure to so um, yeah I think I, that's I liked a, that a lot sorry that, that's a good point I think I would have liked this more if it was a different book no I'm just kidding if it had been <laughs> not the satire but if it had been about these women's lives Mm-hmm. as more of a straightforward story without it, it was just the tone I, I there's I don't need to belabor the point it was the tone of this book didn't work for me yeah and so there was a lot to the story that I think in other hands I probably would have enjoyed but the the writing style just wasn't for me yeah okay what's your next one so next is Good Omens by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett and Am I the last person to have read this book? Possibly. Although, Possibly. no, no, probably not. Because now it's so old that there are probably a lot of people who haven't read it. Oh, that's true. The yeah. I've been lapped by generations. Exactly. So I think I'm okay. And I, I even saying that, I know, I'm sure my sister has not read this. I'm sure that there are plenty of other people who have not read it. But it is a pretty dang famous book. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy to have finally had a chance to read it because I've owned it for several years. And just have never gotten to it. So it's a hard book to describe. (laughs) So I will do my best. Um, It's about an angel and a demon named Aziraphale, as I think how you pronounce it, and Crowley, uh, respectively. And they are supposed to be on opposite sides of the good and evil divide. But they're secretly friends who have been mostly living pretty good lives on Earth for centuries while they enact either their good or evil intentions and tasks in the world and they're such good friends that they even will sort of help each other out with their good and evil tasks because if you're in the neighborhood you might as well just take care of the whole thing when you're there so Crowley is is very happy in the so this book is written in 1990 and I think it's kind of set in that time Mm -hmm. he's extremely happy with his life at that point and he, he drives around in a, an old Bentley that he is the original owner of. And he, he just is, is kind of loving life. And then the, the Antichrist is born. And so he is tasked to deliver him to an American couple where he will, where the, the Antichrist will live until the apocalypse. But there's a mix-up at the hospital. And the baby is sent to an idyllic English village and he's named Adam Young and he grows up with friends and basically has this great life and in the meantime human baby is sent to live with this American couple and is named Warlock so in in the meantime there is we know that there was a witch in the 17th century named Agnes Nutter who wrote a book of strange prophecies and then was burned at the stake and the book that she wrote eventually predicts the apocalypse and has been passed down to her descendants and they know when it's going to happen which is exactly 11 years from the birth of the antichrist so Aziraphale and Crowley also know this and they don't really want the end of the world to happen because they like humanity at this point and they like the lives that they have and so they decide between them that they're going to allow they, they know about this mix-up and they decide that they're they're going to allow Adam to live to see if he becomes good or evil. And so is his antichristness learned or is it innate is, is basically the question. So then all kinds of hijinks ensue. They're, the four horsemen of the apocalypse are also on their way in to, to enact all the events of the apocalypse. And they're on motorcycles and there's a witch hunting army of, of two who are looking for Agnes Nutter's descendant because she's she's going to be a witch. And there are people or like royalty from hell who are furious with Crowley for subverting their plans. And this is all happening to one big event at the end, which is the apocalypse. <laughs> so I can't believe I described that. You so did well. such a good job describing that. <laughs> Um, so this book is super popular and it was not a book for me. (laughs) I feel very bad saying that because it's, it's, I know how much people love this book and is so dear to so many people. It's also very hard for me to know right now. So, so I started this, it took me over a month to finish it. I will, I will be forthright in that. And I don't know if that is because I'm still coming off of a intense reading year and 
just being kind of burnt out on reading a little bit and and usually after the committee is over i think hallie will attest to this mm-hmm. you just kind of need a breather for mm-hmm. a minute and so so often you sort of rely on catching up on netflix and all these things that you've mm-hmm. sort of neglected and because i'm starting the new committee year as the chair i didn't really get to do any of that stuff in in ways that i felt like i needed to i had uh, audie's listening that i needed to do i just felt like i had a lot of things on my plate and so i was never really getting a chance to to recoup from anything and so and then trying to read this at the same time and so it just wasn't hitting for me but i also wonder if the humor just isn't my style Mm -hmm. because i i very much like neil gaiman i've read several of his books and have always really enjoyed them but this is my first terry pratchett and Mm -hmm. i think that maybe his humor doesn't work for me i i don't want to like isolate any listeners who may who may love terry pratchett but i feel like growing up and especially in college i knew many fantasy readers who had a very particular style and it to me always came off as thinking they were smarter than everyone else Hmm. and that was that was what that i kept thinking about those acquaintances Mm -hmm. as i would would read this and and so i could 100 percent be projecting onto those experiences onto this book but nevertheless that was what i kept thinking Mm -hmm. when i was reading this that this is very satisfied in its humor but i know how many people loved this (laughs) so i don't so i i'm not saying at all that it's a bad book i'm not saying that that if you if you love it that you think you're smarter than anyone that's that's not at all my my take on it it's just i i couldn't i couldn't separate it from people i've known in my past so and and i I mean, there's something to it when I, I found that I just was never wanting to pick it up. So Yeah, no, that's such a big sign, yeah. Yeah. So I hope that everyone else loves it and that I don't read it again. Yeah, and now you've read it, and it can be moved yeah. off your shelf or whatever yeah. you want to do with it, yep. I do still want to watch the show, though. Like, I yeah. think that the, I like the actors in the show, so I would be open to that. So, And I do know, I, I know a friend who, who didn't like reading this in print and then watched the show and enjoyed it and then went back and listened to it and really enjoyed it so maybe Hmm. at some point yeah that is like if I have an opportunity like a book club or something like that I would be open to that to see and I also I'm very aware of how much our our like life experiences Mm -hmm. and what's currently going on in our lives impact our reading and so it's always very hard for me when I say I don't like something to just say flat out I don't like it without like prevaricating a bunch right. on on everything else around it um so so i don't know we'll see what the future for me in this book holds uh, i read this many years ago i took a class in graduate school that was called popular materials it's so funny i was just discussing this class with a friend the other night that because um, we were all in graduate school together and the idea was you talked about different genres and then each week you read a book in that genre of your choosing. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. this was the book I picked for fantasy, I think, oh, okay. I would assume. I thought it was hilarious when I read it. I remember nothing about it, to tell you, <laughs> nothing. I mean, you told, when you were telling, when you were saying the description, I said, oh, I was thinking to myself, oh, yes, 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 this is what this book is about. I just thought it was very clever and funny, and I hadn't read m- much, if any, fantasy at that point in my life. So... It just struck a chord with me, and I just, I was curious, partly because, partly I picked this for you because you love The House in the Cerulean Sea, which is mm-hmm. not at all the same kind of story, but the idea of you have these kids who have, and you have the Antichrist as one of the kids in The House in the Cerulean Sea, and then in this book, there was Antichrist. Anyway, so I was just mm-hmm. wondering what your reaction to it would be. But yeah, totally fair. Yeah, I, I think that I think if I didn't have such a strong memory of disliking, mm-hmm. like thinking that fantasy was all this group of people that I knew that mm-hmm. that I found very off putting mm-hmm. and for years thought I didn't like fantasy because of that. I think that and then to, to go back and read this and be like, oh, this is yeah. this is feels so similar to them like it just brought back all these feelings and so mm-hmm. so I'm very curious if I had not had those experiences if mm-hmm. I how I would have felt about this yeah. but I can never know because I did because you did and now it's done so my next book was The Truth and Other Hidden Things by Leah Geller have you read oh, this oh yeah 
Yes, I have. You have? Okay. I wasn't sure if you just picked it because it seemed like something I would like or if you had read it. Nope, I read this one. Okay, so this is about a woman named Bells who is 43, and she's the mother of two teenage children, I believe, although her younger one might be more like 12, but teenage-ish children. And one day she learns two things. First, that her husband, who is a professor at a university in New York City, has not gotten tenure, and he thought he was going to. And that means that he needs to find a new job, basically, because the way academia works, if you don't get tenure, that means they don't want you to stay. (laughs) They do not want you continuing to teach. So he basically has a year before he is out of a job. So he needs to find a new job. It also means they need to find new housing because it's a professor affiliate. It's a university affiliated uh, apartment building where they live. And she also learns that she is pregnant and very unexpectedly, very unplanned pregnancy. So her husband actually fairly quickly is able to find a new job in upstate New York in Hudson as a professor there. And so they pick up the family and they move. And Bells is not happy about the situation, but it's what needs to happen. So she goes and pretty quickly her husband embraces this new lifestyle they have living there and he loves it. The kids get settled in pretty quickly, but Bells just doesn't. She feels like an outsider. She feels ungainly as a pregnant 40-something woman. Like She always feels kind of like she doesn't look very good, and, and she just doesn't feel good about herself, basically. And she meets several other women in town and doesn't get their best reception from them. Decides she, she's a writer, and she used to write for a paper or a publication in New York City. So she reaches out to her editor and pitches the idea that she could write a column or sort of like a blog post about Hudson, where she lives now, sort of poking fun at it. And just to give her, and she also goes to the local paper in Hudson to see if she can get a job there, and she can't. And so this is a last-ditch effort saying, hey, could I write something for my old paper? And we can just do it as a test, see how it does. And she writes it in dispatches from afar. Right, right. And she writes it anonymously. um, And it's this snarky. It's poking fun at the people and the culture of Hudson. It basically goes viral. Like it, it catches on not not immediately, but it grows and grows. And so she's able to continue writing this blog and it gets more and more attention. And suddenly she's feeling a lot of satisfaction and fulfillment in a way that she wasn't before. She feels like she kind of has a purpose. And when she goes and she has some of these interactions with the people of the town, she is able to almost separate herself from it and observe it in a way where she's thinking, oh, how am I going to write about this to make it funny for my audience? And so she's really quite happy. But she also knows (laughs) that as soon as her identity is revealed, which inevitably it will be because people dig into the internet and all these people around her her mother-in-law tells her 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 friend tells her that somebody is going to unveil who the writer is and she's going to be in big trouble because she is revealing secrets about this town that people are not going to want others knowing one of the things is that there's a sort of task rabbit service where you can hire young college graduates or college-age kids to do tasks around your house, but that the moms of the town are using it for (laughs) sexual favors, basically, and that they pay them in groceries. (laughs) It's just hilarious. (laughs) So funny. Anyway, so... So I won't spoil like how it's it all the table groceries groceries can't be tracked. Groceries are expensive. <laughs> anyway, um, so it was a really fun, quick read. I got right in as soon as you start, you're right into the story and you're caught up in what's happening in Bell's life. And very much reminded me. I don't know if you've read and Lori Gelman. She wrote Class Mom and some other books about oh, kind of suburbia yeah, yeah, yeah. parenthood kind of things. And very much like that. I think that its target audience probably is not me. It's probably moms more that I don't have children and I think a lot of it kind of poked fun both at millennials or not millennials necessarily but hipsters and yeah. and mothers and I am neither of those things so and I don't really encounter much of what's included in the book but I could still I could still find it funny even if it's not targeted towards me as its primary audience so I thought it was fun it was cute it was at times I thought Bells was kind of 
kind of a jerk. Like she's kind of mean to the people in the town in a way that they don't deserve beyond just writing about them. She's kind of judgmental about them. Yeah. But I think she's, I think that's the point. Um, But so at times, because she's the main person that you're with throughout the book, at times you're like, Oh, I don't really like her. Like I kind of want Mm -hmm. her to be, to get her comeuppance a little yeah. bit. Uh, yeah. But anyway, it was a fun read and I enjoyed doing it. And it was, I was glad to uh, get her off my shelf. So that's The Truth and Other Hidden Things by Leah Geller. I had pretty much exactly the same <laughs> the same feelings of like, I assigned this one because weirdly, it was one that I read for the committee as a, a possible mm-hmm. nomination and decided it wasn't something I'd want to nominate. And yet I've remembered it for two years and oh so, interesting yeah That's interesting. and and so because it is very just frothy and like yeah. and it and that could very much be that in the course of reading all this stuff for the committee you're just like oh sometimes it's nice when you find a book that you know you're not going to you're not going to do anything with but it just kind of hits the spot and right I think that, that was this book for me yes. where where i love like new york stuff i love i love like i i very much sort of fantasize about small town yeah but but like very um very picturesque small town right. life and and then have lived in a small town that was like that where it didn't feel that way once you're actually there and so yeah. there was sort of that like oh yeah i remember this yeah. um one um, thing mentality so i enjoyed it one thing i'll say about it that i think it gets out of date very quickly, I think, because mm, this yeah. came out a couple of years ago, I think 2021 maybe or 2022. And so some of the observational humor about it, there's a lot about food and drinks. I don't know. Her husband's obsessed with going to the farmer's market and mm-hmm. bringing home vegetables and things. And it's funny, but it's also like, oh, haha, that's so two years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think it probably hit a li- hit slightly better if you read it. Like, you wouldn't want to read this in 10 years, I don't think. I don't think it would have – it would be nearly as funny. I think it needs yeah, to be read kind of right now. Then it will – then everything will have come back. Because oh, that's true. 10-year cycle at this point. That's true. <laughs> I did think it hit a, a the right tone of that you sort of relate to her yes. and her dissatisfaction with the life that she's been pushed into. Right. But you also were like, yeah, but you're a jerk about it. Yeah, and she I, never really like, tries. That's the yeah. thing that I was – I kept getting hung up on and I kept and and I don't want to spoil anything but I don't think it's any surprise to hear that it really is about how unhappy she is with herself and yeah. she does feel nobody is judging her for being 43 and pregnant and there are lots of 43 year olds who are pregnant she's mentally and psychologically in a yeah. place where she doesn't feel comfortable with that so she sort of projects that yeah. onto other people um, yeah and she and she's in the wrong and the book is right is it's very clear, clear about that, that yeah. yeah and so I thought I if it had been a different tone of book where she's where the people in the town are like we we all have like those making fun of Instagram mm-hmm. moms right mentality like I definitely do that myself and so um so it's it's drawing attention to that but also showing that she's not right for the way that she chooses right. to deal with her her um, frustrations with mm-hmm. herself and her yeah. life so so yeah it's yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't like push it on anyone but right but no it's fun for some like fun little light read then go for it yeah just hit the spot when I read it too I was yeah. I was deciding between that and my third book to pick up and I picked up this one it was a perfect thing because it just I got right into it I read it quickly yeah, it was, yeah it's it very was, palate cleansing yes exactly absolutely all right what's your last one so the last book is old love good girls by, by oh, Gail okay. Godwin Did I have not read this, this one Oh, okay. That was what I was curious about. It curious about if you had had because I was surprised because this is just such a random book on my shelf. But you've also read a lot, so mm. it's very pop- possible that you have. So this is a very different book than I was expecting. Um, not in a bad way. So I was I just was like, oh, this is not what I thought it was going to be. So it begins in 1958, and two girls are randomly assigned to be roommates at a women's junior college in North Carolina called Lovegood College. And um, one of them is Farron Hood, and she is technically a legacy student because her great-great-grandmother or someone had um, gone to the school. But she has a – when you think legacy student, you sort of have an, an image, and she is not that person. She's had a very difficult background, um, and she actually is at the school because she she was living with her stepfather, who was abusive to both her and to her mother, 
and her mother was an alcoholic who died in violent circumstances. And Farron accused the stepfather of causing those circumstances. So she ends up running away to to family members that I think are somewhat estranged um, from from her mother. It's it's actually her her deceased father's family. So she's never met them before, and she just shows up on on the porch of of one of their houses. And they were wealthy enough. Um, they're very kind to her, but and but they were ultimately wealthy enough that they could send her to college. So she's just different than than it seems the other girls at, at the school. So her roommate is Meredith Jellico, and she's nicknamed Mary. And she comes from a very prosperous tobacco family, and that that family is very very stable. And she's very homesick for them. And so they these two girls like seem like they should be opposites in certain way but they're opposites in other ways that you wouldn't necessarily expect Mm -hmm. but they they get along very well and so they they um become very close and they love their college life and they love what they're learning and they love the faculty but each of them has this sense that they will never truly understand each other even though they really care about each other um which i think is a very astute way of looking at friendship because Mm -hmm. there's there's ways that like my closest friends i i there are ways that i know they never will totally understand me and mm-hmm. and do you ever understand someone but that doesn't mean that you don't care about them right. and you don't like have all of the affection and love for them that that's entirely possible without being able to grasp their their choices and and everything that goes on in their life so um so both of them are in a literature class that they feel very inspired by and they start writing and Farron has a bit of a mental rivalry with with Mary to see who is a better writer um Mary knows nothing about this (laughs) so it's really just on in Farron's mind so so a few months into the semester something happens to Mary that cuts their time together short and she leaves the school and it, it changes their relationship as a result, which I won't go into any of that. But then the book follows their lives over several decades and they fall in and out of contact with each other. But through all of these years, they both hold on to the importance of this friendship and how it impacted their lives and how it sort of was this bud that started in college and, and then flowered throughout the rest of their lives. So um, this is a book that when I think about the books that I love to read, this is not what comes to mind at all. Like I think of more mystery mm-hmm. and a little bit more uh, atmospheric and plot based, but I love books like this and I don't think about it until I'm actually reading it of, of books that cover women's relationships over time and how they change and, and all of the insights that go into them. And so, so reading this, I was just like, Oh yeah, <laughs> I really like this type of book and why don't I read it more often? Um, it just had such rich characterization. Um, Mary and Farron feel like real people and they develop in realistic ways over time. And the there are a lot of um, uh, people that are on their periphery, especially professors at the school, that don't really have much space on the page, but you still get a really strong sense of who they are and that they all have these thwarted dreams that led them to this women's college. And that's really, that's hard to do, I think, mm-hmm. in, in mm-hmm. not very many words. And I thought this book does that really successfully. Um, and then just also because I love school, I love <laughs> reading about colleges. And so um, it's not, it's just really kind of the first hundred pages of the book are, are them in college. Mm-hmm. But I still felt like I really understood the space and felt all of like this weight of tradition that the school has on it. And, and, and just, I, I felt like I was, I could picture it all very clearly. And, mm-hmm. and the writing style is not terribly flowery. It's, it's I wouldn't really call it spare, but it's it's veering a little bit more on that side mm-hmm. and it's more on a literary side. And so to be able to evoke that much mental imagery in not a lot of writing to me is is always really impressive. So I'm super glad to have read this one. I, I think this is very under the radar. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. I had an arc of it, but I don't remember ever hearing any press about it or anything like that, although I can't remember when it came out. But but I very much enjoyed it. So that is Old Love, Good Girls by Gail Godwin. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. So I know about this book because there is a podcast I listen to. I talk about it all the time uh, from the front porch. And I heard about this book on that podcast because they do a subscription service where every month a bookseller, you you choose, I think, which bookseller your tastes align with. And then you get a surprise Mm. book in the mail based on what they chose. 
And the shop owner's mom has a subscription along with somebody else that works uh, at the bookstore. And they, both of these women prefer PG, PG-13 kind of books. So nothing mm-hmm. with a lot of explicit sex or violence or language on page. And she talked about this book, the book shop owner's mom, and loved it and talked about it. And when she described it, I mentally put it on my TBR list because it just sounded interesting. And like you said, kind of under the radar. I hadn't really heard anybody talk about it. And so when I saw it on your shelf, I thought, well, this, it just sounded kind of like a lovely book. It sounded like Mm -hmm. an interesting, but not action-packed kind of story. And so I was trying to balance what I was picking for you. So I'm really glad you liked it. Yeah, I'm glad you liked it. I think you would really like it. It's very, very very ampachity in in its style. So I love that. Yeah, that is up your your alley. It absolutely is. I'm going to put it on my library holds list right now. Do it. (laughs) Okay, my last one is Shrines of Gaiety by Kate Atkinson. Before I start talking about this book, I just want to set the stage because two things. Sometimes when I have to read a book, for whatever reason, it becomes homework to me. And yeah. I don't like homework. I am a, <laughs> in my 40s. I am not in school. I don't like homework. I resist homework. So this happens to me a lot with books. I mean, even book club books, like things that are kind of for fun or that I'm choosing to do. If it's, if it's a book I have to read, even if it's a book I long wanted to read, it starts feeling like homework. So I want to say that because I think if I had read this book at a different time, I would have absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. And I liked it, but I didn't love it. And so I just want to say that part. And then the other part is, as this is, I promise, the last time I'll talk about this series until probably my favorites of the year. <laughs> I was in the middle of reading the Throne of Glass series. And the last book is about a thousand pages. And so oh I didn't want I didn't want to start reading that until I had read the books that I had to read for other reasons. So for this podcast, for I review books for Booklist magazine, for my book clubs, like I wanted to get all of those books. I wanted to clear the decks so that when I finish when I could at read the last book in that series, I I would um, and just devote my time to that. So I'm saying all this because I don't think this was the opportune time for me to pick up Shrines of Gaiety mm, because yeah. And it's long. It's too, long, so. and kind of all I wanted to be reading was Throne of Glass. So mm-hmm. I, I'm saying all this is probably too much setup, but I just want I want to be clear that I think this is a very good book, and I think under other circumstances I would have loved it, but I just liked it. Kate Atkinson is an amazing writer. I mean, there's just no doubt she is an amazing writer, and she's amazing at setting characters into a time and place and making that feel very alive and I think she did that really well in this it is about the 1920s in London in Soho among these clubs that this woman owns and all of that is very vibrant and it felt like you were in this world as you were reading and it's a, based on a real person, which is pretty cool. Uh, mm-hmm. So the character's name is Nellie Corker, but it's it's based on a real woman. I don't think I put her name in the notes. Give me a second. No. Okay. Yeah, I can't remember either what her name is. It opens when Nellie Corker is being released from jail. You immediately get a sense of this woman. Like, she's she's been around. She has been around. She has seen some <laughs> things. And she has six children, adult children, she owns five of these clubs in Soho. Uh, she just, as she gets out of jail, she feels a little worn down, is, your, is my sense. That she feels like there are threats from competition, people who want to kind of encroach on her territory as far as the clubs go. Her children are kind of doing all these different things, and she doesn't feel like she can trust all of them. She, one of them, she suspects, is colluding with one of her rivals in some way. And then the police are also investigating her and her clubs for illegal, nefarious activities. And there's a new police inspector, I think, police inspector, detective, who can't be bribed, which is very unusual at this time. Like, everybody else can be bribed. He cannot. He's, this, he's new to the department, and he is sort of committed to the idea of uh, taking down the underbelly of, of London. So that you have, so she's just feeling put upon. So you have her, you have her children. So you're reading about all of them. Then you also have the detective, the police officer, Frobisher, who 
you get to know him and his personal life a little bit and then his professional life. And then you have my favorite character, Gwendolyn Kelly. <laughs> Kelling, Keeling, Kelling. Gwendolyn Kelling, who's a librarian, who she comes to London. She's come into some money. And a friend of hers asks her to look for her niece and her friend because they have gone mis- they have run off to London and have gone missing. They haven't heard from them. So Gwendolyn takes upon herself to say, sure, I'll go look for them. So she arrives. She gets kind of mixed up with the policeman and also with Nellie and her world. And they all kind of start intertwining and all of their stories start coming together, which I love books that do that. I love when mm-hmm. you have seemingly disparate people and then they all start coming together. So I loved Gwendolyn for lots of reasons. She's just a very capable person. She just kind of takes charge of things. And I, I really liked that about her. There are also lots of funny asides about librarians and sort of stereotypes mm-hmm. about librarians that yeah, I found yeah. hilarious. Uh, and so that was fun. It brought a little levity because it's not a very light story. Yeah, it's just sort of this slice of life of this time and this place and lots of I would say a fair bit of violence and and sort of I don't know I don't know how else to just get like just it's, it's gritty the gritty yeah. yes it's a, sort of a gritty look at this these people in this time so again you've heard kind of where I landed on it nothing will ever well maybe someday but life after life still my favorite Kate Atkinson book ever uh, mm-hmm. this did not this did not knock it down so Shrines of Gaiety by Kate Atkinson. I would agree that it's not as good as Life After Life, but but it's going to be a pretty difficult task to yeah. be better than that book. Yeah. But I, I did love this one a lot. Um, but I know that my I nominated it for historical fiction on the committee and others did not love it as much. Mm-hmm. But I think it's it's it is just a very it's kind of a dense, dense. Yep. historical fiction yep. book, which I love being being in that yeah. space. But I, I know that for a lot of other readers when they read historical fiction they want a lot of details but not necessarily as like this is, it has a claustrophobic feeling yes it, the think, other so. thing the other thing for me I don't know if this is for other people but for me even Gwendolyn who I liked a lot I never really felt all that connected or invested in the characters I didn't mm-hmm. feel I felt very removed from what was mm-hmm. happening in the story I think it didn't feel I didn't feel emotionally tied to what was happening in the story. And again, that may have just been my situation. And it was a lot of characters too. It was kind of a yeah. lot of people to spend that time with and so you didn't get a ton of time with any of them. So she did a very good job actually of fleshing out all these people mm-hmm. in in the, the the page count that you have. But um so I think that was part of it too. I just felt like intellectually I was thinking this is a good book, but I wasn't emotionally feeling yeah, I can understand the connection. That. Yeah, I I also think that to me it was really interesting to read about the twenties and to not have it be sort of like sparkling. Yes, um, yeah, and they sort of like talk about that bright young stuff, bright young things as a yeah. theme that they keep coming back to, and it's like, yeah, no, it's not actually. It's this veneer of bright young things, but it's not. Yeah, and how how that was funded is mm-hmm. yeah, and this is all about how that was funded, right? And so to me that was I don't read stuff set in the 20s very often that has this take on it yeah and so um so I felt like it it felt very true to life in ways that a lot of historical fiction doesn't to me and yeah to me this really worked but I I 100% see the reasons that it didn't for other people yeah all right so that's our reading from our TBR for 2024 I'm sure we will do this again next year uh and I I feel like it was it was successful in we got three books off of our shelves. Yeah, well, and I'm glad I read all of them. Yes, it's I'm glad not, I read all of them too. Yeah. They were all ones I really wanted to read. So yeah, I'm glad. Not actually, what's funny is the truth and other hidden things is probably the one I enjoyed the most of the three, and that's probably the one I would have picked last. Right. So right. yeah, it's a fun, <laughs> fun experiment, fun exercise. Yeah. All right. Well, we will be right back with what we are reading this week. Okay, Anne, what are you reading this week? Um, I'm reading, I'm almost finished with Here in Avalon by Tara Isabella Burton. And she seems to hone in on writing about things that are very appealing to me, but then always with intense relationships attached to them. So she has one, the last one I read of hers was set in a private girls, or not a girls school, just a private boarding school and a very, very intense friendship that develops between a group of people. And so she always like finds something that I 
but I think, ooh, yes, I want to I want to know more about that. And so this is no exception. This one is about a magical cabaret that might actually be a cult and two sisters who find themselves wrapped up in it. So sign me up on that. That all sounds fun. So the sisters are named Rose and Cecilia, and they grew up in Manhattan with a very neglectful mother and had a basically a bohemian lifestyle and grew up very interested in the arts. So as adults, they ended up becoming very different people. Cecilia never really grew up herself. Um, she becomes a musician and she flits from job to job and from country to country. And she's always sort of chasing something that will enchant her. And she's always trying to find a love that is beyond what normal people will ever experience. So she's, she's never really satisfied with the mundane. She always wants something more. Rose, on the other hand, gave up everything they knew as kids for the sake of the stability that she didn't get as a, as a child and a young adult. So she had been a promising artist, but ends up becoming a coder for a self-help app. And she's engaged to the head of a tech startup. And they basically are both very dedicated to work and getting ahead and, and sort of all of the conspicuous consumption that goes along with that. So Rose is very hurt when she finds out that Cecilia got married on a whim and didn't invite her. And so they've been a bit estranged um, for the past while. But suddenly Cecilia comes back to New York and won't talk about her marriage and says that she's changed and she seems to be doing okay for the first time in Rose's memory. So one night they're, work they're walking through a park together and they hear a woman ranting about a red boat that stole her friend. And the group that they're with, um, in including... Rose's fiance are very dismissive and sort of mocking of this woman, mm. except for Cecilia, who takes it very seriously. And she starts to act strangely and she starts staying out all night, but won't see where she is. And she becomes very spacey and misses um, events with Rose. And so finally she disappears and Rose is determined to find her. And the only clue that she has is a note that's partially burned in the fireplace that was inviting Cecilia to the Avalon. So Rose writes to the address and she receives back as she in, in this on the side, she has gotten in contact with uh, Cecilia's husband who has come to, to look for her as well. And so the two of them hatch this plan of finding the Avalon. And so so after Rose writes the address, she gets back a series of clues that um, she has to solve that are very like magical and flighty and sort of like from a from a fairy tale essentially. And the end result is that she's standing on a dock in the middle of the night waiting for a red boat to come to her that is playing this beguiling music and it holds a cabaret that she stays at all night and reminds her of the life that she gave up. So then a lot of other things happen. <laughs> so um, it's really hard to categorize this book because I went into it thinking it was going to be a little bit more on the adrenaline side mm -hmm. with like the cultiness of it. But it's also sort of fantasy because there's this boat and and it does have this like enchanted overlay over this entire story. So I don't know how to how to categorize it, which I think answers my question for committee purposes of what I'm going to do with it but it's really about this relationship between the sisters and how they find their closeness again that they once had um, it's also kind of hard to describe what I like about it because it's it really is just atmosphere and mm -hmm. I, I love like New York stories I love um, stories about sisters I love like all of these little pieces that that come together but then there's just this like unknown weirdness with this cabaret on the water that stays out all night and then drops people off in the morning and it I just yeah there's something that that keeps I just always want to be in the space of reading this book so I'm I'm probably three quarters of the way finished with it and I'm excited to finish that up today so that is here in Avalon by Tara Elizabeth uh, Isabella Burton I've recently learned that that is called all vibes no plot oh <laughs> which I think is accurate yeah not that particular I, book but that feeling of yeah, yeah atmosphere yeah. and not a ton of action yeah I could get on board with that I feel like a lot of books I love are yeah, all vibes and a plot are like that yeah <laughs> this definitely has a plot but it's yeah. it's a lot of vibes lots of vibes all right so what I'm reading this week or what I read this week was when we were bright and beautiful by Jillian Madoff I actually just started yellow face by 
RF Kuang, and I think I'm going to have a lot to say about that, but I literally just started this morning on audio, so I don't have enough to say about it. So I read this for my book club, and just like the book you talked about first, the Take It Back by Kia Abdullah, this is a great book club book. We are meeting tomorrow. I can't wait to hear what other people think of this book, and it, it's, a, it's one I would have a hard time recommending to anybody because it is a deeply uncomfortable book. It's a deeply uncomfortable subject matter. And you need to know going in that if that there are certain content warnings that it has to deal with sexual assault and some other eating disorders and things. And so, you know, there are lots of readers, I think, that would prefer not to read that sort of thing. So it's important to know that going into it. However, I thought it was an incredibly well done book. Could not put it down. Very, very thought provoking. One night I had about 50 pages left, I think. And dinner was ready. Dinner was absolutely ready to be eaten. <laughs> and I said to Jeremy, we need to wait and keep that warm until I am done because I have got to see how this book ends. Oh my I just gosh. found it so compelling. And I think it's best to go into it not knowing a ton beyond the bare basics of the setup of the story because a lot of it really is how the story unfolds and then what is revealed throughout the story. So it's told from mm. the perspective of a woman named Cassie who is in her 20s and she's from an incredibly wealthy family who lives in New York City. And I mean, we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars that they have in assets. And she has two brothers. And when the book opens, her younger brother, Billy, has been accused of rape. And the woman who has accused him was his on-again, off-again girlfriend. So right from the start, you know this is kind of going to be murky because the way these things go, there's a pre-existing relationship between the two of them. And Cassie immediately, she's attending graduate school or about to attend graduate school. So she is not living with her family. But she immediately comes back to New York just absolutely assured of Billy's innocence and that his ex-girlfriend or girlfriend is in the wrong here and that she's sort of stalking him and all these things so we start getting to know Cassie we start getting to know her family and you soon learn a couple of things that are going to impact the story the first thing is that while Kathy excuse me while Cassie was raised in this family she was actually adopted when she was a young girl her father was her birth father was the mentor of Lawrence, who is her adoptive father. Mm. Her mom died a couple of years after her birth father died, um, but they had actually already taken her in because her she was very young at the time, but her understanding is her mom was not prepared to raise her on her own. So you need to know that, and then you also need to know that as a teenager, Cassie had a romantic relationship and a sexual relationship with a much, much older man. And so... It still kind of lingers to the present when this book opens that this man is kind of still reaching out to her sometimes and she's trying to put it in her past, but you can tell she still has feelings for him. That's, that kind of impacts how she views things. The other thing is that she has some self-destructive tendencies that you learn about right away. She drives way, way too fast. She's always trying to beat her time from getting from her apartment where she's living to the apartment in New York and takes the roads way too quickly and turns too quickly and you learn that she's kind of pressing her luck there and then she also has a history of disordered eating and maybe some other mental health things going on so that's sort of how we're gonna how that's what you need to know to to know if this is a book that you might be interested in because what happens then is the book goes and follows Cassie and her family and the case uh, for the next weeks and months because Billy is accused and arrested and then it does end up uh, there is a potential trial on the horizon so I don't want to say more than that but there's a court case that's involved um, in the story so much like the book you talked about it's it is about the court case but it's also about the people involved how that is represented in the media um, and the question of guilt or innocence kind of becomes secondary to other aspects of the story. And it was very uncomfortable to read at times. There was one point where I had to kind of just set the book down and catch my breath and think, oh my gosh, this is happening. But I was just so absorbed in it. I felt so, so compelled by it. That is When We Were Bright and Beautiful by Jillian Madoff. That sounds very interesting. 
So that's it for uh, our TBR episode. Uh, let's go back and list off the books we talked about. Okay. I talked about Take It Back by Kia Abdullah, Good Omens by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett, Old Love Good Girls by Gail Godwin, and what I'm reading this week is Here in Avalon by Tara Isabella Burton. And I talked about Bandit Queens by Perini Shroth, The Truth and Other Hidden Things by Leah Geller, and Shrines of Gaiety by Kate Atkinson, and When We Were Bright and Beautiful by Jillian Madoff. If you'd like to get in touch with us to give us feedback or a suggestion on a topic you'd like us to cover in the future, or maybe you can tell us what your oldest book is on your TBR. I would Ooh. be, I would be frightened to know my oldest book. It's been yeah. there a long time. Uh, yeah. You can email us at wellreadpod at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook or on Instagram at wellreadpodcast. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your other podcast provider of choice. Our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Bear. We keep our show notes at wellreadpodcast.wordpress.com, where you can find a listing of every book we talked about today and in all of our episodes. Thank you all for listening and happy. Reading.